Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is Mailbag. What's Mailbag? Well, I'm often glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take live questions from our audience who are watching the show as we stream it live. However, for the rest of you guys who watch the show, you know, the other 22 hours during the day, if you want to get in questions or comments, you're not watching the show live, good news, you can send in questions and comments for Rob or myself or both of us to answer here on Mailbag. And the way you send in a comment or question to be read on Mailbag is simply go down into the description of any of our videos and you'll see a tip link. Click on that there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on Mailbag if we deem your comment or question appropriate for our shows. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved with the John Cabe Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. And today, it's not just me. It's me and Robert Meyer Burnett doing it today. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, it's always great to hear from our viewers and answer their questions. It is indeed. And that's what we're going to do today. So let's not waste any time and start getting right to it. We're going to start things off here with Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, John, I had sadly heard that Tom Holland was quoted as already being negative on his own performance in Uncharted. He had said that he felt that he mugged to the camera too much. I honestly wouldn't read anything into that. There's a lot of there's a lot of actors who are very self, uh, you know, have depreciative humor about themselves. Oh, I did this too much. Honestly, I wouldn't read anything into that whatsoever. Garden Variety. So we'll see. I mean, we're gonna go see this thing on uh, Thursday, just a couple of days. Right. I'm excited, and I'm excited to see it too. It's not getting the best response. Kind of mixed. But you know, we'll see how we feel about when it comes like around. Like you said, John, it's just fun to go to the movies. It's just fun to go. And two flying pirate ships? Come on. I, I, I'm already there. I'm already there. Yeah, you won me over. Okay, next up. Uh, we've got, also from Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, Team, the issue with Iron Fist, in my opinion, is not the writing per se. It was the poor acting. Uh, Norton and Howard are still canonical, but just replaced. I would prefer that as as a method. It keeps everything simple without having to twist everything around. I respect your opinion on that, Garden Variety, but I completely disagree. Um, the acting was hit and miss. Sometimes the acting was quite fine, and sometimes a little bit, little bit questionable. But no, to me, the problem with that show was the writing. I mean, the writing and constantly the writing. I just, they were constantly doing things in that show that I was just like, why is that? Why are you doing it that way? And why highly, like the basic mythology they were setting up was good. But uh, yeah, I, personally, I just thought that's where the problem started. What about you? Did you even get through all of Iron Fist? I eventually did. I I was disappointed. I, I did think that the casting was problematic. It was not what I had wanted from the show. Mm. But there was... I didn't hate it, John, but it was my least favorite of all the Netflix, of the five Netflix Marvel shows. Right. Including the Defenders miniseries. But, or no, actually there's six, because there's the Punisher, right? Yeah, we have Punisher as well. So, so it's six. Yeah, and I just, I, it could have been better. All right. Next up, we got Josh Made You Look, who writes, <laughs> uh, Iron Fist was meh, but I don't think it's fair to say he's the only one who should be recast. The show suffered from poor show running by Scott Buck, who also did in Humans. Finn Jones did fine in um, uh, LC. I don't know what LC. I I don't know what LC is. Um, if S. I j guys, please don't write in acronyms. Um, I think he just deserves some dang respect. Well, 
I mean, I don't, I don't think actors deserve anything. <laughs> I mean, I, that, I, actors deserve one thing. They deserve a paycheck. They come in, they do their job the best they can, and they get compensated well for it. That's what they deserve. Uh, anything after that is up to the eye of the beholder. Uh, the, you know, you just read our previous person writing in said they didn't, they thought they were the problem. They thought Finjo was the problem. So they don't deserve the blame. They don't deserve the all the credit. I, it, I don't know. I always feel weird when movie fans tend to think it's about the actor in it. Now, the, the actor and the performance they give can certainly add to or maybe detract a bit from a thing. But at the end of the day, you know, if you've got a good movie script, you've got a good movie script. If you've got a good story to tell in your TV show, you've got a good story to tell. And... It certainly helps when the actor does it well or doesn't, but it's very rarely all like we as movie fans again. I get super excited that Henry Cavill is going to be in something. Henry Cavill's not writing the dialogue in it. Henry Cavill's not making up the story. Henry Cavill doesn't decide what the character does and does not do. If another actor comes in and plays instead of Henry Cavill, the character will do the exact same things. It'll just look a little bit differently because it's another actor portraying it. But I still get excited when it's Henry Cavill. But I do find we put an unbalanced amount of emphasis on who the actors in the movie. I don't know. What do you think about that? I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, everyone wants to believe that actors make up their lines on the spot. <laughs> you know, it's that's hard. What the, but they're supposed to make us uh, believe that. I, right? I know that. And that's the whole point. And it's, it's no, I mean, it's all, nothing is left to chance on a movie. Now there's been, there was a great video that dropped John. This is totally off topic, but Meryl Streep in, in don't look up. Uh, um, McKay was talking about how, a gifted improv, how, how gifted she was. And there's a scene when she's supposed to be on the phone at the beginning of a scene. Every take, she improved an entirely different conversation. And they did clips. No. Yes. And they did clips and uh, of each conversation. Dude, everyone was hilarious. It was hilarious. Now, not actor. That's not usual. Right. But, I mean, Meryl Streep's the goat. <laughs> and you have, you have a cast like that. You can try stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Next up. We got an anonymous viewer who writes, I've not heard you speak on this, so assuming you are unaware, the Batman is having two fan events. AMC and Regal are doing March 1st, and Cinemark is doing March 2nd. AMC and Regal are also giving out a Batman comic, and Cinemark will be giving out the Batman pin set. Well, I didn't even know that. I don't even think they're actually AMC and Regal events. I think they're IMAX events. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about that. But Cinemark, I did not know Cinemark was doing its own event on March 2nd. That's actually pretty cool to hear. Pretty cool. And getting the pin set is always pretty cool, too. So that's neat to hear. Thanks for sharing that with us, Thomas. Yeah. Next up, Zeke writes. I'm in a huge Game of Thrones. Uh, sorry, I am a huge Game of Thrones fan, uh, even after the last season. By the way, don't care what anybody else says. The last season was awesome. Uh, House of the Dragon is my most anticipated show this year. What are your thoughts on the show? Do you think lightning can strike twice? Absolutely. I'm excited about it. And and the, what little we've seen of it, I think the casting is great. You know, they've certainly I got very good so. performers. I think the look of the characters is pretty wonderful. The little teaser they did, Kind of had that feel to it. Now, we won't know until we actually get into the show, obviously, about what it does and does not accomplish. But I am looking for not as much as Lord of the Rings, but I am very much looking forward to this. What are your thoughts on this one right now? How can you not? I mean, the, the Targaryen Civil War where people are wrecking shop on dragons. I mean, come on, man. All right. Next up. <laughs> I'm in. We got Dangerous D who writes. Hey, John, I think John Cena should get an Emmy and a Golden Globe nomination for his role on Peacemaker. I absolutely disagree. I completely disagree. Anyway, John really did a fine job conveying, conveying the damaged psyche of Christopher Smith. He did. Um, 
Uh, also, the show itself should get nominations for Best Ensemble Cast and Drama Series. Tell you what, well, I don't believe it should get nominated for Best Drama Series, but I'll tell you what, I'm perfectly good. I am perfectly comfortable with the idea of an ensemble oh, because this ensemble of performers together, they have these very, very different types of characters and very, very different types of actors have created an incredibly wonderful chemistry on screen together. I couldn't agree with you more. And plus, you've got dramatic actors yep. you've got deft comedic actors you've got physical performances i mean it's a pretty stellar group of actors doing many different things all at once right now and i'm not trying to be disrespectful to john cena i think he has done a fine job which by this is going to come out the wrong way i know but please try to take it in the spirit in which it's meant doing a perfectly fine job is great for john cena that that's john cena having come a long way and he is doing a decent job playing the character. Legitimately, he is. But he's doing it as a true actor should be able to do it. I, I have, I've not seen anything in Peacemaker, while it might be my favorite show of the year so far. Um, I've not seen anything in Peacemaker that makes me believe that John Cena deserves an Emmy or even a Golden Globe as useless as those are, but he has done a perfectly fine job. And that in and of itself is a testament to how far John Cena has come. But I agree. And an ensemble, I'm all for it, but no, I, I don't believe in any way, shape or form. He should be considered for actual awards for his performance in this. All right. But again, he's getting better. He is getting better. And uh, I have loved this show so far. All right. Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, the New York post says discovery slash Warner brothers overcame its final hurdle uh, after getting the okay from the U.S. antitrust officials, while the Amazon slash MGM deal remains in limbo, insiders consider the Amazon deal a monopoly. It cites it cites its dominance in the digital space. Do you agree? Mm. You know, this question came up once the whole information came out that Amazon was going to try to acquire MGM. Of course, MGM put itself up for sale, and you got to make a strong case for a company to deny a company the right to sell itself. I, while Amazon is absolutely a monster, in this space, they are not. They are not as big as Netflix. They are not as big as Disney. They are not as big as Warner Brothers. They're, they, Amazon is not the big kid on the block when it comes to movies and streaming and all that kind of stuff yet. And personally for me, who has not done any of the, of the investigating, so there's probably a mountain of stuff I'm not aware of, but just based on its surface information, no, there should be no problem to me being 99% in the dark. But from where I'm sitting, I don't think there should be any problems with Amazon getting MGM. If you're talking about Amazon buying Walmart, that could be different. Yes. That would be, that could very well become an antitrust situation and, and, and consumer uh, protection. But in the movie space, I don't see it. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? I agree. I mean, obviously, I'm no expert in, in antitrust laws or anything like that. But if they were the only people making TV and movies, I'd say, well, then maybe it's a problem. But as you pointed out, John, uh, Amazon are not the only people on the block. <laughs> and making TVs and movie movie shows, TV shows and movie shows, movie shows, movies, <laughs> um, they have distribution, a method of distribution on the Internet like everyone else does. So it's not like Amazon owning MGM is going to prevent Warner Brothers or Peacock or Paramount from making programming. Uh, I agree. All right, next up. 
We've got Just Your Average Joe writes, Why spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads when, after the game, all those same eyes will be watching Super Bowl highlights on YouTube, reliving the game over and over, and what plays before slash during those highlight movie trailers? Uh, is that recent? Yeah, that's your thing in general. Um, here's the thing. No, they're not. No, they're not. The same eyeballs watching the Super Bowl are not the same eyeballs going to watch highlights on YouTube. Uh, there are some people who do, but I think this kind of betrays that we are products of our own social circles. We believe that what is normal in our social circles is what is normal in the world. Me and my friends do this. Therefore, the world does this. They don't. The reason why football ads are such a key place for movies and stuff like this to advertise themselves, like Disney's been doing it with like Star Wars films or whatever, dropping big trailers during Monday Night Football and things like that. The reason being is because is there is a massive audience there that isn't as plugged into this other stuff as a lot of other people are. And there is no bigger audience in the world than the Super Bowl audience. So that is why they spend those dollars because they're getting advertising in front of people who they just don't have another avenue of getting advertising in front of them. And that's why those spots are so valuable and cost so much. And that's why the studios put up the big bucks to do it. All right, next up, Daniel B writes, Hey, John and team, considering the mixed bag Boba Fett was, I can't help, sorry, I can't help think what went wrong with Robert Rodriguez as he did a great job with directing Mandalorian season two, episode six, uh, where Boba Fett was a badass. Uh, was it the writing or was it his bad day at the office? It's, you know, it's a good question, Rob, because we often go back to that Mandalorian episode. Really, it was a Boba Fett episode of Mandalorian season two. It's like, okay, you guys clearly understand what we are looking for in Boba Fett. You guys clearly know how to make Boba Fett seem like truly the hardest of hardcore, most feared legendary bounty hunter in the history of the Star Wars galaxy. You guys clearly get it. So what happened with the Boba Fett series? To me, it's it's a little bit of a mixture of the writing, but you got to remember, this was the same writing that went into Mandalorian, or sorry, Book of Boba Fett, episode five and episode six, the same writers. The difference was in episode five, you had a director like Bryce Dallas Howard who really knew how to take that content and breathe life into it. And Robert Rodriguez, who over the course of three episodes kind of made it feel like he didn't know how to breathe life into it. And again, we got to say this every time, Rob, because you and I like Robert Rodriguez. I think he has made some wonderful films and I look forward to his future films, but for whatever reason, there just seemed to be a disconnect between him and the material of how to really breathe life into it such a way. Like there was a disconnect between John Favreau's brain and Robert Rodriguez's director's chair because Bryce Dallas stepped in there and was like, boom, made it sing. So I don't, I, I still think we're going to be doing a postmortem on book of Boba Fett for, I think the next two years. I, I, really, I, I don't know. What do you think the, where do you think the disconnect was? You know, I just think that, that Robert Rodriguez, the tone of it, the tone was different. Yeah. Like in, in Mandalorian, it was, well, I hate to say it, but a lot more hardcore. I mean, when Boba Fett shows up, he doesn't just knock a stormtrooper over. I mean, he brutalizes. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like bye bye, son. I'm gonna smash your face open. And and 
with the Moss Espa Vespas, it's like I, I literally was hearing the sound of put 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 as these oh my things God, were. Yeah. I mean, you've got swoop bikes and speeder bikes that are really fast, and, have, and these guys are riding on colored. You know, what remind me. Of? Remember when it was? It might have been the last episode where Fennec gets on a bike and she like hits the accelerator and boom! It's kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot that's how fast these things are supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. But here we come. You know, what remind me of. You've never seen Seinfeld. But I'll uh, give a whole second. Give me one second. Here. I'm gonna see if I if I can find this. Okay, here's here's what I said. It reminds watching the Moss Espa Vespas for those of you who know Seinfeld. This is what it reminds me of. Like, that what doesn't what George is George is writing that looks like one of the Moss Espa Vespas, and that's like I expect to hear like little beep beep as her going through. But that was that was bad. That was bad. That was bad. All right, let's keep things going here, shall we? Next up, uh, we're gonna go over to uh, Samira O. Who writes. Hey, John and crew, I do watch The Mandalorian, but had no interest in the book of Boba Fett. For the fans of Boba Fett, I am glad that they made a TV show about him. But then I was told I had to watch at least three episodes or I wouldn't understand what was happening in The Mandalorian at the beginning of season three. So I watched the last three episodes of the book of Boba Fett to be up to date with Mando and Groku. I don't think it's a good watch. I'm sorry. I don't think it's good to watch a show I have no interest in to understand what's going on in a show I'm following. I hope this is not a new trend at Disney Plus. What do you think? Listen, uh, Samira, what you're talking about is something that has been a problem, not just in television, but was really a big problem in comic books. In comic books, a lot of people, I can't remember what year it was. But it, in comic books, a lot of people started to abandon their books as the comic book writers started more and more to tie in all the different comics. What I mean by that is they started to say, okay, you're following this. I'm going to make one up. Um, the Investigation of Spider-Man. I'm just making up a storyline. But they, in order to follow the story, you not only had to buy your monthly issues of Spider-Man and say it crossed over with Fantastic Four. You also now, maybe you never got Fantastic Four. They were making you, if you want to be able to follow the story, you got to go get the next issue of Fantastic Four. Then, by the way, it'll say at the end, to be continued in next week's exciting issue of uh, Excalibur. And so you even, you may not read Excalibur, but guess what? If you want to follow the story, you got to go buy Excalibur. I remember John Schnepp used to talk about that. Like he used to hate that trend and made a lot of people abandon yeah. trying to follow them. And that is one of the things that Kevin Feige has always tried to do with the Marvel stuff was to make sure if you every like everything Marvel produces, Kevin Feige wants to make it a viable entry point for a new fan. Like you've never watched Marvel before and this new Spider-Man movie's coming out. You might not get all the depth of everything in it, but you'll be able to come in as a brand new viewer, even into Spider-Man No Way Home. And you won't feel lost. You'll get what's going on. You might miss some of the finer points or some of the nuance, but that's okay. And you're right, Samira. They should not do these shows in such a way where you're going to be completely lost in the thing you want to watch unless you watch this thing we want you to watch. I don't know. What's your take on that? No, I agree. And, you know, one of the things I love, you know, I love my Marvel omnibuses. And they put out, like, you You love the Age of Apocalypse storyline. Well, the whole Age of Apocalypse storyline took, took place over multiple series. They had multiple one-shots, things like that. So when you buy the omnibus, it's a gigantic tome that you could kill somebody with if you hit him in the yes. face hard enough. <laughs> You know, it's like $125 to get a hardcover because they have everything in there. Now, I'm glad they did that. But when you're 
when you're buying the original books, it's like, wait a minute, you suddenly have to buy five or six titles that you didn't normally collect to follow right. one story. And it became expensive. Yeah, and they should not do it. Now, here's my guess. My guess is when we get into Mandalorian Season 3, that I will bet if you did not watch Book of Boba Fett, I bet you won't be lost. Yeah. They'll they'll sum up what you need to know, but if they don't, that's a mistake because you're right. They shouldn't design these things in such a way that it forces you to watch content you're not interested in in order to be able to follow the content you are interested in. That would be a big mistake, but I don't think they're going to do that. At least I hope they don't do that. All right. Koa1708 writes, What's not to like about National Treasure? Secret American Treasure, Action Comedy, and Nick Cage. But in all honesty, it's one of my favorite series, LOL. We need a third movie, not a Disney Plus series. I would disagree with you on both counts, Koa. I don't think we need a third National Treasure movie. Then again, I don't think we need, I don't think there's ever been a movie created in the history of cinema that has ever been needed. <laughs> uh, but nice, nice to have them, but I don't think, we, we don't need another National Treasure movie. Uh, but if they give one, great. I I wasn't super warm on the idea initially, but the more I read about this new national treasure thing they're doing, I think it's an, it, the premise sounds very interesting to me. Yeah, It's an interesting point of view to do it from. I think this show could be, has as good of a shot to be really good as anything. And they still, like, the, Bruckheimer keeps saying they want to do another movie. And them doing the series, listen, don't fool yourself into thinking if they weren't doing this series, they'd be making a third Nick Cage movie right now. No, they wouldn't. They'll make a third Nick Cage movie when they want to, if they want to. It has nothing to do with this, like at all. Um, but this movie may, or this show, I should say, may suck and it may be great. But I think it's at least as an interesting premise. Where's your thoughts on that right now? I mean, like you said, to me, John, any movie could be good. Yes. Great story, great characters. That's all I'm looking for. That's what that's my bottom line. And if they have a national treasure story that's worth telling, by all means. You know, I think the premise, I love treasure hunting. I love going after. I mean, I like the Robert Langdon books, you know, that yes. Ron Howard directed. I like the Da Vinci Code. That I've often said the Da Vinci Code was the best worst book I ever read. <laughs> Meaning that I it was a page turner. I read it. It was ultimately sort of silly but it didn't matter i loved it and as soon as i was done i'm like did he write any other other robert langdon books and it turns out why yes he did so i could go back and read them did we need them maybe not but i thoroughly enjoyed experiencing those stories right. all right next up we got uh korea got soul writes hey john and gang so i know john always says star wars should expand and carry on with new characters and i totally agree I would love to see an Asian-style Star Wars movie with space samurais and force monks in kind of a Shinto nature setting. Well, good news, Korea Got Soul. That already exists. Uh, I can't remember what the exact name of it was, but those Star Wars short... The Visions. The vis Star Wars Visions. And there's... A, not all the Star Wars Visions episodes were great, but a couple of them were killer. They were. Like, really, really good. Particularly the one that was, like, about Ronin Samurai Jedi and stuff like that. Like, those were dude, chef's kiss. Dude. Mwah. Come on now. So good. The one with the with the old Sith master, the old man. Like, that freaked me out. Also, the very first one they did about the, the uh, mysterious warrior in the village and then the Empire show. I mean, that stuff was balls. It was good. I love that stuff. So, good news. That stuff was already there. But do you think they could transfer... 
Transformers well, actually do a feature film and stuff like that? I got to tell you, they've been making a series of toys. I think Bandai puts them out of Star Wars characters as samurai. So it's oh, those it's, have been coming out for years. Yeah, the, for years. And there's just a, a new Mandalorian set that's coming out. I'm like, oh man, and they're so cool. I would love to see a the Star Vader, Wars. The Vader one is awesome. Uh, awesome. They're awesome. So I would love. It's just it would be it, it would be, you know, doing a Japanese version could be very very cool. It's a little too specific. I mean, it's cool to get toys like that, but in a in the universe far far away, could that work? I guess it could because they did kind of they did it in visions. It was awesome. Nice. Why not? Bring it on, live action. All right, next up, Korea Got Soul also writes, Hey, John and gang, so I absolutely love Peacemaker. Me too. I cannot wait for the finale. So good. And I got a theory on Judo Master. Why haven't the butterflies gotten to him? Maybe it's the flaming Cheetos he eats to protect himself from them. That's a I, great that's idea. brilliant. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? That's brilliant. Okay, so here's the thing. They have still not addressed... When Peacemaker catches up to Judo Master in the parking lot, when they're about to have their rematch, and they're in the middle of the rematch, and, and Peacemaker's winning the fight, and Judo Master's about to say to him, you don't understand. The butterflies are... And then... Um, I forget the character's name. Shot him. Uh, Abadeo? Is that... Is oh, that, yeah. yeah. I, can't, uh, I can't remember the, the specific name. Anyway, um, the daughter. Yeah, yeah. Shoots him. And I, that has kind of been hanging. So I actually thought for a little while, oh, wait a minute. Myrn is the bad butterfly and the other butterflies are the good butterflies. Well, that's clearly not the case. Right. Like after the end of the last episode, that's clearly not the case. But what is it that Judo Master knows about them that, that he's not revealing? <laughs> I, somebody said he already is a butterfly. But the thing is, while he is a great fighter, he has not exhibited the type of strength and whatever that a butterfly would have. Right. But you're right. Even as he's sitting outside of the convenience store, he's constantly eating them. I love that theory. What do you think? I, that's so James Gunn. Oh, it totally it's is. It's so James Gunn. Because, you know, when you when you eat a bunch of Cheetos, it's on your breath for like a day. It gets in your system. I can't eat Flaming Hot Cheetos. I can't eat Flaming Hot anything. I can't eat spices. Mm. <laughs> that's a great idea. I love that. It'd be I love great that to theory. See. He's eating, he's eating. I'd love to see a butterfly try and get into his mouth and die. It's like it's poisonous to them. There's something in them that's poisonous to them. I love that. All right, Anonymous Viewer writes, Hello from England. Love listening to your show. Thank you so much. Uh, have you heard anything about the Batman prequel comic before the Batman? Apparently it's quite good, but it doesn't seem to be well marketed. Anyway, enjoy the weather. Ours is awful. And we're in Southern California. So I, right now the weather is great. Yeah, I actually got the AC on in the house right now. Let's take is, a look, John. Let's see what the actual temperature is right now. What is? Because it's in pretty Southern warm California. outside. Last I checked. It, it is, according to right at this particular moment in time, it is. 79 degrees 79 degrees outside in sunny and wonderful i got the pool uh <laughs> the pool running right now anyway um back to what you're saying there's a, i believe there's also a prequel novel yeah i think there is too. I, I, I assume the comic is just kind of the 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 visual representation yeah i mean of it, i'll or? read that novel somebody somebody wrote in last week and talked about what was in there yeah so like, look like he was actually bruce young bruce was working on he used the bat cave to actually work on cars as a teenager yeah. and stuff like that sounds pretty interesting you're right they did not market it well because the only time the only places i've heard from it about it at all is from our own viewers yeah so yeah it's interesting all right thanks for writing that in all the way from england man all right next up jordan writes have you uh, ever, let me try this again. Have you ever been watching a really good movie 
And all of a sudden, something so dumb and idiotic came out of left field. It <laughs> ruined it for you. Yes. Minus Jurassic World when Vincent D'Onofrio appears and seriously wants to use the Raptors in the military. That actually kind of feels like actual verisimilitude to me, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. Anyway, uh, also about those Raptors, it has turned into a running joke with my friends and I, where anytime a military shows up in a movie, we say, release the Raptors, or if only they had the Raptors. So do you also have a running joke gag from a movie? Um, <laughs> I don't have a running joke or gag from a movie. First of all, again, that listen, when anything that comes into existence, the military wants to be know wants to know if it can be weaponized. So I don't have a problem with that part. There have been many, many, many movies where something happens, you go, wait, that? That. That's that's come up a lot, as a matter of fact. Like, for instance, we were talking about signs earlier today. I really like signs until you get to the point where you realize this alien race is completely like kryptonite susceptible to water on a planet that is three quarters covered with water. And it rains. And it rains. <laughs> and the creatures they're attacking us, what's our body percentage of water? Is like 80% of our body is made up of water? I, I mean, it just, when it's like, really? Really? And if you live on the farm, time to irrigate those crops. <laughs> Problem solved. You want to alien proof your farm? Turn on the sprinklers. I mean, so stuff like that. There was another movie just recently. I mean, we were just also today, we were talking about the Jordan Peele movie, Us, which I was kind of really into figuring out the mystery of this. And then we found out, wait a minute. So there's this huge underground compound with literally a doppelganger of everyone on Earth. And we just never stumbled across it. It's not in another dimension. We just never stumbled. I remember at that point, I was like, I nope. I, so I've had a, a Wait, lot of movies like You said just that. what? You said nope. Oh, I said nope. <laughs> nope. An inadvertent homage to the upcoming Jordan Peele movie, which does look great. Um, do you have any off the top of your head, Rob, movies that you're like, you were with it well, until like one fact gets <clears throat> revealed and you're like, come on. Um. No, but I watched a Netflix series episode last night called In From the Cold. Have you heard about I've this? I've not heard of this one. It's a brand new show. It's about a woman, a mother. She's gone to Europe. She's gone to like Spain to be with her daughter for a skating competition. And it turns out that she's a former Russian spy. Okay. I'm into it. I'm watching it. And I'm not going to tell you what happens. But at the end of the episode, I'm watching this and this thing happens. And I went, wait, what? I mean, it's so out of left field. I can't decide whether it's cool or not and whether I'm going to watch more episodes. But it was so, let's just say I didn't see it coming. So if you watch In From The Cold, please write in and tell me what you thought of what happens at the end of the first episode and are you going to keep watching? Damn it, I just thought of, uh, what was I thinking? I was just thinking of another one. Not Lost. That's not the, although the, the one in Lost is like, wait a minute, it was what? Um... I was just thinking of one, damn it. Now, like, oh, Christopher Nolan's film, The Prestige. <laughs> that is a movie I love. Love it. But if I've ever got it on, I'll turn it off before it ends. Because it's like, wait, it, the whole thing was, mm-hmm. Yeah. How, come on. I mean, so I, I hate that ending, but I still love the movie. It's, I, I, I still too, but it. It's so outlandish. Yes. And it's so, like, it pushes... Talk about straining credulity or shattering verisimilitude. It does because it makes 
I know it's based on a book. The Prestige is based on yes. a book. I don't know if that's in the book or not, but it's hard for me to take. Yeah, John. that part made no sense to me. Okay, <laughs> anyway, uh, next up, Owen writes, maybe the post credit scene from Shang-Chi where Banner, Danvers, and Wong were examining the beacon sent by the Ten Rings was to represent they were head of security for their respective playgrounds, Banner, Earth, Danvers, Space, and Wong, Cosmic. Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, when Wong wanted to look into this, because obviously they Wong said they felt it when it happened, right. right? So I think he just, number one, Bruce is the science guy. So is there anything from a scientific level we can know? Danvers understands galactic entities more than most members of the Avengers. Is this familiar to her at all? And then Wong would understand what's going on in the mystic realm. Is this similar to anything missed? So really it's not realms of space, earth, whatever. It's the realms of science geographically and mysticism. And do, and can any of the three of us who kind of represent those three things come up with what this is? And they couldn't. So I think that's probably and where it came from. Yeah. And too, the, the origins were. could be, you know, mystical realms, is it is it derived on Earth or is it any kind of alien technology? So they're asking. They've basically gone to experts to consult. If they are they in any way connected to the rings we've got in Eternals? Could that have been another set of rings from another set of Eternals from a billion years ago? That and and the signals setting it out is sending it out to <clears throat> Celestials. That could very well be. I mean, I I don't think that's a solid theory, but that's just the only. It's one a good thing I theory, though. I mean, why not? All right, next up. Good question, Owen. Next up, we've got uh, Kit Vader writes, one of two. Love watching you all. Thank you so much. Informative and intelligent content. Do you think Boba Fett was planned or they like RR'd? They like our RR's episode. Oh, you're talking about Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. Episode of Mando and quickly tried to put it together. Just very sloppy, rushed writing. Is Boba a crime lord or the new mayor? Uh, that's a good question for two two <laughs> missed opportunity the underworld of crime families would be great kathy kennedy's hand on this uh with rob what happened to bf after geonosis boba fett uh with sand people for five years get your armor and ship asap people knew the marshal and armor thoughts okay so here's the thing another example of we liked mandalorian Kathy Kennedy didn't have anything to do with that. We don't like Bo- Book of Boba Fett. That's got Kathy Kennedy's yeah. hand on it. It's, I, I don't know what to say about that. Listen, you guys know I have been extremely critical of Kathy Kennedy, particularly on uh, the issues of her ability or inability to make sure she is on the same page as the creators she's bringing in and only to then have to, her amount of director turnover in such, she's had far more director turnover in half the time that Kevin Feige has had in twice the time. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Absolutely. But I will also absolutely give her her due. Mandalorian exists because of her. Now, it's John Favreau. Uh, as a studio head, she had a stack six miles high of pitches and proposals about what a new Star Wars show should be. And going through all of them, she identified John Favreau's pitch as this is the one we should do. And then she, John Favreau, told this story himself on stage at D23. She was the one who came up with the idea to say, I want to match you with Dave Filoni. Let's bring Dave Filoni in on this, and I want you to work with him 
you're the showrunner. You run everything. But you, I want him to be a co producer with you. He really knows our lore. I want to match you guys together. She's the one who did all of that. And ain't nobody wants to give her credit. Because everybody thinks like, well, if I don't like something, I can never give it credit. And if I like something, I can never point out a flaw. That's a stupid way of thinking. Kathy Kennedy is as much responsible for Mandalorian as she is for Book of Boba Fett. So let's just get that clear right away. So other than that, <laughs> it's still Jon Favreau. Like, Rob, we've talked about this with Book of Boba Fett. I am confused as to, it, like, it's easy to think about, well, Jon Favreau did Mandalorian. That's why that was awesome. And Eddie Kerfunkel came in and did Book of Boba Fett, and that's why it was bad. Yeah. By the way, Eddie Kerfunkel, for anybody who's now looking that up on Google, is a fictitious person I just made up in my head. <laughs> and that that's we can grasp that. We can understand that. Well, Favreau did Mandalorian, and it's great. Somebody else did this one, and it didn't work. Yeah. This was still Favreau and Filoni. The guys who clearly show they know how to make awesome Star Wars TV content. It's the same guys who did this. And the difference in quality between the two of them is so stark that it's confusing to me. Like, not everybody's going to have a great day at the office, but they're still in the same playground. They're still in that Star Wars playground. They still have Boba Fett, who they showed they can write awesome Boba Fett in Mandalorian Season 2. So to me, that is still a big point of confusion, and I don't have an explanation for it. Have you thought of anything? You know, John, I'm with you. I'm, I'm confused by it. Look, I was confused. The scene that confuses me the most was the scene in the kitchen where Boba Fett, a la some slapstick comedy, is chasing around that little rabbit droid or whatever. It was, it was embarrassing to watch. It was embarrassing to watch. And he grabs the, the neck of this thing, I am Boba Fett. Like, they said, why are you saying that to a droid? I am Boba Fett. And they make, him, they make him crawl under tables. And like uh, it, it really, I get it that maybe they're trying to appeal to a young audience or something. You know what it reminded me of? You know all I could think of when I saw it? And I don't even know if you saw this movie. Did you watch the Tom and Jerry movie? Oh, yeah. It reminded me of the Tom and Jerry movie. Yeah, it, and I'm watching. I'm like, what are they doing? I, and that's the thing. You're 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 making your character, your main character, look like a buffoon. <laughs> and that is a mistake. It is. All right. Next up, Mark 2021 writes, "Hey John, been a while since I wrote in. Have you heard any news on Umbrella Academy season three? I've been waiting on this show for a long for so long now, and I've heard nothing of it." Uh, and will you be doing a Peacemaker spoiler discussion? I'll probably, we haven't been doing Peacemaker spoiler discussions for the show. I probably will after the finale. So there yeah. will probably be an open spoiler discussion about, on Peacemaker. Uh, with Umbrella Academy, I, I love to be able to tell you, I, I love to tell you that um, one of the producers of Umbrella Academy actually plays in my home Star Wars role-playing game. Uh, Chris. Chris plays in my Star Wars role-playing game. And uh, now we we haven't got our second campaign going in a while because COVID and everything like that, but we're going to be getting that going soon. Yeah, they've actually put out some promos. There's already been some promo material coming out online. It's coming out this year. Uh, they, they're finished production on it. It's all wrapped, ready to go. So yeah, we should begin. I love this show, Rob. I love, like, there for a couple of years, it was like, I cannot believe that we have um, Umbrella Academy, and the boys and doom patrol all on tv at once and it was like i just i there are three completely different approaches to superhero material 
but great. And all utterly fantastic. And yeah, man. So different from each other. So I'm looking forward to this. You looking forward to the I Umbrella Academy? I have been loving Umbrella Academy. I love some people say, well, first season was better than second. I'm like, I love them both. I love the characters. I love the actors. I can't wait to see season three. They ended it in a really cool place. Yes. So I can't wait. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Korea Got Soul writes in. Hey, John and gang. So I'm proud to announce that my wife and I have just bought our first house. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Uh, and we are currently making it to own. We're currently making it to own. I'm not sure what that means. But I told my wife the first night uh, we're sleeping there. We're going to poltergeist it, smoking joints to celebrate it. <laughs> Listen, I, I can tell you what, man. Poltergeist it. Living, living in L.A. Uh, or in the L.A. area, it is not an easy thing to be a homeowner. Anna and I tried for a couple of years to buy a house and we finally did a little over a year ago, actually a, a year ago, two weeks ago would have been the one year anniversary that we moved into this house. Uh, and this is the first house either Anna or I owned. Um, and it is such uh, a, a sense of accomplishment when you understand how difficult it is to actually go through the process of becoming a homeowner especially in a really competitive market and all that kind of stuff. It is great. Um, and uh, congratulations to you, man. That is awesome. And you, Plus, this is a cool house. And I, I really like the house. This is, this is a nice house. I'll have to probably do another tour of the house at some point because I did a tour after we just moved in, but we've changed a couple of things. I should probably do a, a little bit of that. But at any rate, guys, congratulations to you, Korea God Soul. Poltergeist that up and congrats on the new house, man. All right, next up. We've got Garden Variety Vagabond who writes, uh, binged Reacher. They knew how to drive a story. I didn't feel there was any filler at all. Acting uh, by all was outstanding. Didn't see a weak link. I now have a crush on Willa Fitzgerald. <laughs> I've been impressed with Alan Rich, uh, Richson in Titans, but he leveled up. I, I'm going to say the same thing a little bit that I said about Peacemaker and John Cena. I thought um, Alan Richson, uh, Richson, I thought he was perfectly good. He, there wasn't a lot required of him. And I, by the way, I really enjoyed this Reacher show. Yeah, yeah. I binged it the whole thing in like three days. I liked it quite a bit. And I thought he was quite good. I, I don't, I wouldn't be handing out any Emmys or anything like that. Like to me, the, the one that really stole the show was Finley, the detective captain. Like to me. So good. He was so great. And I, I don't know if Willa is the, the female, the blonde yeah, cop. She was also, I mean, to me, they were the real acting strength of the show. But um, uh, you know what? The, the kid who played the millionaire's son, not the strongest, not the strongest to say. And Richson, listen, th there wasn't a lot required of him. It was a lot of monotone, a lot of whatever, but he did it well. And he had great physicality. Oh my God, he brought that to it. And you had to have that, right? So, I mean, you're the one who turned me on to this show. So what was it about the show that really appealed to you? Well, you know what I like? I love the, the book series, the Lee Child book series. And I read a lot of, of like detective mystery kind of fiction like this. I like the sort of large uh, scope of it in terms of you come to this small town, you really get a sense of, I mean, like you pointed out something, all the people you meet, are villains right <laughs> like oh and it's like oh everyone's a villain so uh, ultimately you're like you just assume everyone's gonna be a bad guy so i think that might have been kind of a weakness but you don't quite know everything that's been going on in the show and i thought as it as it moved along it was just interesting 
you know, as you got deeper into this mystery and found out what was going on and met all these different characters, I thought it was just a really engrossing watch. Now, will it change your life? Are you going to be pondering the philosophical underpinnings of Reacher for the next (laughs) couple of months? Probably not. But I thought the show is solid entertainment. You know, it's not, I would say, give it a B plus. Oh, it's I, not, I think that's good. Yeah, it's not an A-list show, but it's definitely a solid B plus, and we need B pluses, John. Hey, listen, a B plus is better than the average, and it, it was good. And I'm looking forward to the next season. Me too. All right, John for Prime Minister writes in. Absolutely, man. Uh, hey, John, been watching you since I left the womb. You absolutely don't have to like K-pop, but saying it has no artistic merit is very harsh, sir. K-pop is like movies. There's five dollar Walmart bin worthy stuff, but also thought provoking brilliance as well. Well, I'm glad you think so. Boombaya. That's all I could say. My beloved Blackpink can do no wrong. La Lisa, yo. Hey, listen, it, look, Shout music, out. every bit as much as movies and everything, That that's subjective to the ear. I mean, you can play one kind of music and somebody, a bunch of people love it and a bunch of people hate it. Neither right or wrong. It's just whatever meets, whatever suits your fancy. You know, some people listen to Pavarotti and think the angels are singing to them. Some people listen to Pavarotti and think, why the hell are you playing this garbage? It, it is what it is. I just haven't the K-pop just hits me one way. That's that's not I'm not dissing on anybody who performs it or enjoys it at all. But if I'm going to be honest and all I can ever be is honest with my audience, I think K-pop is utter garbage. I think it's utter utter tripe. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just saying, hey, and if you like it, that's great. But I find it completely devoid of any artistic merit whatsoever. And that's why it doesn't work for me. If you think it does, more power to you. That's great. I, I wish I liked I it. I can too. go with you there. Well, I, mean, I, I wish I could. Like, it's the same reason why I wish I played golf. Because, you know, <laughs> a lot of times the buddies of mine play golf. And I can't hang out with the cool kids because I don't golf. So sometimes I wish I loved K-pop. Well, so I it's could kind go of it funny, too. John. You do live in proximity to a golf course. I you live. Could, I literally live on a golf course. You could take it up if you wanted to. I, you know, Ann and I have been saying all year. What we literally live, our backyard is elevated over a golf course. You look, you sit in our backyard, you're overlooking mountains, greens, and trees of golf course and mountains. I really should be trying to take up golf. You just have to walk down the end of the street where the clubhouse is. (laughs) Rent some clubs. (laughs) Take a lesson or two, hit some balls. I mean, that's all I need to do. So maybe to be like the cool kids, maybe I need to go to a... Some I, mean, I don't just know. down the street, you got a driving range. You know, I come around the corner and I look at that driving range all, every day. I'm like, hey, I'll even do it with you one day. Let's go golfing. We should, maybe we should. We should. You, me, Ray, should grab some golf. Just go over there, hit some balls, smack ball. some balls. Oh, and what's the name of the guy who does uh, Gangnam Style? What's his name? Psych? Uh, uh, uh yeah, Psy. Psy. Yeah. That's it. Psy. Maybe we'll go. Maybe I should look out. Maybe I should look for a Psy concert and go hang out. And maybe maybe I should try to engross Black myself. Pink. In. That's the or band. Black Pink. There we go. All right. Next up. <clears throat> uh, let's see. John for Prime Minister also writes, anyway, speaking of brilliance, we've heard you talk about uh, the amazing performances in Being the Ricardos, but can you give your quick thoughts slash review about the other aspects of the film that make it so incredible? My favorite film of 2021. Mm. Dude, uh, not my favorite film of 2021, but I was so impressed with Being the Ricardos. First of all, just uh, whenever you give great character study, seeing the dynamic between and getting a little bit of glimpse into the whole thing of Ricky Ricardo and Lucille Ball and seeing it done in that context, the whole thing when all of America was on this big commie hunt, who's communist, you're a communist. It's like, it reminds me a lot of some of the political overtones going on today, but I mean, living in that atmosphere and seeing how they not only survived it, but thrived it 
Dude, when they gave the numbers to on like, I love Lucy. Like the number one sitcom in the world today is making mid single digit millions of views, viewers. I love Lucy was getting quadruple those numbers. Oh yeah. Five times those numbers, like beyond the biggest thing ever. Literally the shopping retail industry change store hours to reflect when I Love Lucy was being broadcast. And remember, there were a lot less people in the United States then too. So it was, you're talking like half the country would tune in to watch. So everything from being a brilliant character study, the dynamics of the characters, combined with the fact of getting a little bit of a snapshot of a different era that we came through as a society... I mean, all that put together just made for a really compelling watch for me. I don't know. What did you think of being with the crowd? Uh, well, look, again, I love Aaron Sorkin's writing, but the glimpse that I think you nailed it, the glimpse into the time, mm. the the what was it like to make popular television? What were the pressures that someone like Lucy and and Desi faced, not just in their personal lives, but in dealing with the network? In the threat that somebody was accusing Lucille Ball of being a communist, what that could mean, it could destroy a life, and it did destroy lives. I mean, the McCarthy era, the Red Scare, it was it, in, in Hollywood, people were turning on each other, reporting on each other. It was horrible. And I think all of those things made for a really interesting glimpse of a period of time that we'll never have again. And you know what I, today, because we live in the era we live in today, And we still have problems and issues today. We do. But I forget looking back at reruns of Lucy and and Ricky and all that kind of stuff. Ricky Ricardo had a really hard time. And he faced a lot of challenges just because he was Cuban. Yep. People didn't want him on TV. You're Cuban. You can't be on TV. Isn't that crazy? You can't be married to this American woman. You're Cuban. And you're from Cuba. You must be communist. It's like nobody on this planet has a reason to hate communists more than me. I mean, like it. So it just gives you not only a glimpse into the society the way it was at that time, but you're also kind of looking at these individuals that we think of one way and realize, man, they had struggles that we probably never even think about. And so on on that level and for many other reasons, I really love uh, being the Ricardos. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Ryan writes. Uh, hey, John and crew love, oh, sorry. Marvel dropped another Dr. Strange two trailer. It looks amazing. And they show a poster for the film, which looks so much better than the Morbius poster. Uh, what do you all think of this and have an amazing day? Rob, do you saw the, the poster? The they new put poster is really cool. Beautiful, beautiful poster for Dr. Strange two. They put out and that's not even going to be the final, that's not going to be the final. Official no. Poster. And people are saying like, you can see captain Carter in there. I'm like, I'm sure in those shards, you can see a lot of things. Well, somebody reflected. wrote in earlier today that you can see Deadpool in there. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't, don't know about that. Yeah, but, I don't either, but hey. But saying that it's better than the Morbius trailer, that's like saying, oh, yeah, that that uh, that one meal I ordered at McDonald's, that was better than the, than the big kick to the balls I got last month. Yeah, just about anything's better. And was, that more, I'm so excited for Morbius. I'm super excited for Morbius. I think the trailers look awesome. The clips they've shown is awesome. But that poster was awful. Awful poster. Yeah, it was really bad. So it's not hard to be better than that one. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Adam Sandoval writes. Hello, John and crew. I've been watching you since the last AMC Movie Talk episode. Wow, that was your first (laughs) time with us, the last Movie Talk episode. Uh, You guys bring joy and humor to me and everyone who watches you. Oh, thank you, man. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm a Rams fan. Plus, I won some squares. Whose house? Sorry, Ray. Hey, man, listen, my wife was cheering for the Rams. 
I mean, she would have been happy if the Bengals won too, but she was wearing her Rams uh, kit when, when the game was on. One of our dogs, is, she decked out our dogs. And actually, you know what? Let me see if I can bring this up. Hold on one second here. Okay, I just I just found the image, so I wanted to bring it up here. There you can catch uh, Anne in her Super Bowl shirt, and one of our dogs, Shadow, is wearing the uh, L.A. Rams jersey, and Lily was wearing the um, the Bengals jersey. So that was us yesterday in the midst of also eating all of our food and all that kind of stuff. We had a good time over here the other day. So yes, it was great. And listen, man, seriously, thank you so much for being around, for watching us for all that long, certainly as long as the John Campus show has been around. So thanks a lot, and congratulations on your team winning the Super Bowl, man. (laughs) All right, next up, we've got Kylo Ken, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I'm very intrigued by the inclusion of the Illuminati in Doctor Strange, including Professor X Patrick Stewart. Who do you think will be the members of the Illuminati, and what what do you think of them seeming to canonize the events of What If?, Well, here's the thing, Kylo. We were talking about this on the show earlier. Am I going on the assumption now, because that was Patrick Stewart, am I going on the assumption that we're about to get the the Illuminati? Yes. Do we know it's the Illuminati? No. Let's be clear about that. I think it is. I'm assuming it's going to be, but we don't know that it is. Also, we don't know that that's the Doctor Strange from What If. It could be something completely different. Although, I think it's safe to say, Rob, a lot of us, including you and me, are going on the operating assumption that it is the What If thing. So, I don't know. It's all going to be about the execution, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I was excited about it. Now, as far as who's going to be on this Illuminati, (laughs) if it is the Illuminati, it looks like Mordo is on it. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Patrick Stewart. Now, if it was the comic books, which it's not, it would also be Namor, Black Bolt, Black Panther, Reed Richards, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, and uh, Professor X. And Professor X. And this is, I believe, that is the officially the crew that kicked the Hulk off Earth, setting <laughs> off the events of World War Hulk. Yes. And uh, no, Planet Hulk, and then Planet World Hulk War and Hulk. Then War, yeah. So I. So we talked about this a bit this morning. I think one of the figures you see sitting in the chair is Black Panther. And I think it's going to be Black Panther. And as Rob pointed out, I think it'll be without him ever taking the mask off. So that settles that. I think we're, one's going to be Reed Richards. Now, whether or not it's John Krasinski, right. I, I put five bucks on it. I wouldn't put 20. Uh, but So Reed Richards, uh, Mordo, for some reason, is on it. Patrick Stewart's on it. I don't think we're going to see Namor, and I don't think we're going to see Black Bolt. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Black Bolt. I think we might see Namor because isn't Namor going to be in Wakanda forever? I don't I don't believe so. I don't know. I know I'm reading all the stuff too. And listen, I I'm I'm not I don't feel conviction about that, but I've read the the none of it has come from anywhere remotely No, but Namor reliable. did flood Wakanda once. I mean, yeah, so, I mean there's definitely comic so, ties, you know. And at this point I wouldn't put a pass on, so I wouldn't bet money against it. I just right now I don't think so, but I could change my mind pretty soon. So, I don't know. We'll see though. But I definitely think Reed Richards. I definitely think Black Panther. Obviously, Patrick Stewart. Mordo seems to be on it. So I don't know. I, what I want to know is who's the long-haired person? Because yeah, when I, I look, when you look at the arms, they're way too small to be Thor. So I, I don't know. Jane but Foster. Maybe we'll find out. Oh, <laughs> looked a little bit big to be Jane, yeah. but I don't know. Maybe. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, Eagly. I like that. Eagly writes. The Last of Us 2 is one of the best games I ever played. Do you think it's one of the best video game movies ever? 
Well, we we haven't had a Last of Us video game movie, but I will say that if you're talking about the cutscene movie, which I did watch in its full like eight to twelve hour goodness, <laughs> right? Last of Us Two is simply the best story ever put to a video game. I, I've all I can look. There are some very very good ones: The God of War, Uncharted, um, uh, Red Dead Redemption. There are some there's some really great storytelling in some video games. Not a lot of them, but some Grand of them Theft are really Auto great. Grand Theft Auto V, the story mode. <laughs> yeah, or also known as your biography. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto V, the biography of Robert Meyer Burnett. I, I have not come, nothing comes close in my, in my interpretation. I have never been moved like I was with the story of Last of Us 2. The whole thing about what pain does to people that's a theme i really love and very very few writers can do it well yeah but when you look at there's something that felt feels so real and honest about i haven't played two i only played the first one. Oh my god seriously the story of two well i won't give away although you've probably read it but the story of what pain will do to people even the best of people yes and what pain can drive you to become and then how your actions may seem very heroic from your point of view and maybe even the point of view of the player playing you. But those same heroic actions from the perspective of another person may make you look like a monster. Because when you look at Last of Us 1, you murder a lot of people. <laughs> you kill a lot of people. Yes, you do. And from your perspective, it coming, John. <laughs> it's all for the right reasons and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Last of Us 2 forces us to look like, okay, what happens to the daughter of one of those people you murdered in, in game one? How do you think you look to them? And how is that going to affect their lives and what they go on a mission to do? And then your heroes have something taken away from them. What does that drive them to become? Every super, not every, most super villain stories start with a tremendous wrong being visited on them. We joke that that is like when something horrible happens to somebody, we joke, there's our supervillain origin. But that'll happen to our heroes too. And like, seriously, I, I watched this. I felt emotionally gut punched so many times watching The Last of Us 2 cutscene movie. I, I Yeah, I think it's the best story. I'm not going to say it's the best game because I didn't actually play it. I just watched it through. But as far as the story goes, for me, nothing else comes close. It's the best story ever done in a video game. But that's just my take on it. There are some people who disagree and, and actually really don't like it, but I, I thought it was the best I've ever seen. All right, Paula D writes, what are your thoughts on Children of Men? Fantastic. So uh, good. First movie I saw in film class, one of the best long shots I've ever seen. That whole shot where coming down out of the building, yep. running out in the street, <laughs> one of the best, most memorable, long, continuous shots. I've ever seen. And the main actor in it, I always... Clive Owen. I always confuse Clive Owen and Jude Law. I don't know why. Uh, well... But Clive Owen, that one great scene with Michael Caine where they're kind of sitting in the study and talking about the state of the world. I mean, it doesn't matter. 40 years from now, it's all over because there's no more babies being born or whatever. Children of Men is a wonderful film. And I, I don't know why it's not discussed more. And, and it's not... No, I mean, it's definitely one of the best science fiction films of the, the 21st century. It's such a great film. And you know... There's such a sadness to that film from the beginning when you 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 when they set up the whole scenario about how it does seem futile and we're all humanity is finished and yet it ends on such a a note of hope. Yeah, it's it's really good. All right, next up, uh, we've got uh, the sock rights. One of two. 
I've been thinking back on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and it seems like Lamar and Walker were set up to fail. They were two regular humans with the shield and a handgun versus eight super soldiers. Neither of them had vibranium or Iron Man armor, just some bulletproof vests. Who thought that they were going to be able to eat a superhuman punch with that? Well, okay, but remember, they didn't create the new Captain America and Lamar knowing there were eight super soldiers running out that they have to right. fight. But, but they did have to be the new symbol everybody wanted. And listen, they held their own pretty damn good. Yeah, and, and that's, what the, that's, I think, the core of what that story is actually about. You know, they had to create what, what does it mean to be a symbol? And when you when you're when you're when you're replacing somebody, how, how can you do that? And, you know, I actually felt sort of sorry for Walker. Like, he, I don't think he was a bad guy. He was just circumstance changed him and, and what was going on changed him. And and he was he was he descended into amorality. And I'm curious to see where he goes. And he was disillusioned. Yeah. When he like when he like he idolized steve rogers and when he took up the shield he had these grand delusions of he's going to do so much good he wants to help the world and then he starts running to a rally where people didn't want him and and even on my show we joke we call him walmart captain america he's the walmart version of captain america but he faced that even when trying to approach the old friends of captain america and they so utterly rejected him and that kind of disillusionment that kind of rejection that kind of whatever made him bitter yeah and then ultimately he did he made a choice that i think a lot of people make he had the opportunity to take the super soldier serum himself then what happens it was exactly what the um oh what's the actor who played that uh i just had his name um uh the actor who played the doctor who gave steve the serum oh uh stanley tucci Tucci. all you can hear as he was taking the serum you realize stanley tucci saying why he was so hesitant to give it to the wrong person. It has to be very specifically a very, very rare kind of man can take this and handle that kind of power. And they give it to him and he was not prepared for that kind of power and it drove him more mad. And and then ultimately at the end, you kind of had a redemption arc for him as a little bit. Coming back to fight alongside, you know, Falcon and, you know, and it was a, actually ended up being a pretty beautiful story. I thought so too. Him. So again, I didn't love the show, but I thought that was a very intriguing character. No, and I, I really thought it brought up some really interesting, valid points. And and even I loved Sam Wilson's story, like even though he knew the United States had wronged, especially black soldiers throughout history. He said, you know what? I know all of those things, but I, I can move beyond that. I can I can be the person the United States, America and maybe the world needs me to be. And I thought ultimately it was a pretty life affirming series and i love seeing sam wilson accept the mantle of captain america i thought it was great all right next up we got holy ajibas writes kiss kiss gang bang john and crew burrow was sacked seven times yes he was tying a record and i believe that tied the record for most sacks during a super bowl game aaron donald is a beast the bengals probably regretted getting in donald's face when he pushed burrows out of bounds nah they didn't they, no, they didn't. Uh, look, like you think, oh, that's the only way Aaron Donald can play well. He's probably the he might be a top three greatest football players in the history of the NFL. Nobody talks about defensive players enough. He is top three greatest players to ever play the game. And uh, the fact that he came in to play such a and listen, everybody's sacking Burrows our year. Burrow was getting no protection at all. 
Like in the like the last couple of playoff games, he was getting sacked like every other play. I mean, so not a big deal. All right, next up. Alan Renshaw writes, Hey, John, who else do you think will make up the Illuminati? Just discuss that. Uh, Stark is dead. Yeah, but he can be back. Uh, everybody's been dead in the MCU and they always come back. Black Panther is dead. Is he, though? We'll find out. Uh, haven't gotten introduced to Namor or Mr. Fantastic. Would love to see Cruz appear as Iron Man and think it will be variants of current slash past people or other dimensions of them. Right. That's the other thing. Like, what's becoming clear? Rob, we talked about this earlier on the show. What is becoming clear is there are multiple versions of multiple realities. The whole thing brought up in Loki was not the beginning of multiverse or the beginning of there being different versions of things. We had seen this. Like, the ancient ones spoke about it right. in Doctor Strange 1. Like, we, we've we known that. That's been a part of it. Well, like you said, the, the multiverse is different than alternate timelines. Yes. So I know it's hard to grasp, but when you start getting into the nitty gritty. So it's, but again, it's, 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 you're making the point. It's a different thing. Like, every time we see, oh, wait a minute, there's a Professor X here. Well, that's as a result of the Loki. Nah, not necessarily. Not at all. Like, Thanos being back in Endgame after being beheaded, that had nothing to do with Loki. Like the, the stuff that the ancient one was talking about had nothing to do with Loki. There was obviously already multi multiple reality, multiple dimension, multiple timelines, multiple, all this kind of stuff. So which one are we playing with here? Are we, when we get into Doctor Strange, are we playing with variants or are we dealing with different timelines, different realities, things that had nothing to do with Loki. And I don't know. Yeah, they're going to, I think in this movie, we're going to get a, a strict definition of how this works. I agree. And they have to, but or else it's going to become very confusing very yes. quickly. Okay, next up, we've got Loki's Luscious Locks writes, Hey guys, love the show. Thank you so much, Loki. Uh, I have a feeling that the Marvel that the Marvel has digitally removed some characters in the Illuminati scene and that all six members of the Illuminati are actually sitting up there over or under 25%. Um, I'm going to go under 25% only because I believe they're just not sitting in their chairs yet. Like, I don't right. think we're going to get uh, that, that throne room scene with three empty seats. I don't think that's going to be the case. No, it's not like it's the, I mean, it's the Jedi council. They'll all show up. They'll there's, show up. There's a lot going on in that palace right now. Well, actually, even in that shot, we see Mordo isn't seated yet. You no. see him walking in behind. I think we, so I don't think they're digitally removed. I just think we're seeing it a few seconds before they actually take their seats. But I do believe those seats are going to be filled by the time the scene. Oh, I agree. Really gets rolling. So we'll see though. All right. Next up, we've got Johnny Weiner who writes, Wow, what a great day to be me. I get to have Super Bowl game on my birthday. Happy birthday. Belated birthday to you, uh, Johnny. Uh, let's go team football. <laughs> let's, let's go team football. I don't know who to root for, but nonetheless, it's got to be fun. Can't wait for halftime. Too bad I don't drink, but I will have a Red Bull. Yeah, I don't drink either, but that, that's a fine too. By the way, Rob was talking earlier today. We talked about this. That halftime show was awesome. Oh, dude, it was great. I mean, the hanging upside down 50 cent thing, that was a little weird. I, I don't know what that why that creative choice was made. Well, but but how cool was it we got 50 cent? Okay. I will say this, though. The the choreography and the dance stuff, as 50 cent was singing in the club, and he had he was surrounded by those female dancers, right, doing their thing, and it like beautifully choreographed. It was awesome. It was sexy. It was all that kind of stuff. But I remember watching it, and this thought hit me. There's not one of those dancers who was more than 10 when in the club was a hit song. 
<laughs> now, one of those dancers was over the age of 10 when In the Club was the hit song. I just I Well, hip hop is for all ages, John. <laughs> yes, it is. But oh, my God. Seeing Snoop and Dre up there. I mean, that was, oh, my God. And it was, it was so, so L.A. Fun. too. It was quintessential L.A. That's so what, LA. It was The whole thing was a celebration of Los Angeles. It was really great to see. Anyway, I loved it. All right. Next up. Uh, Degovi writes. I think the the desecration of reality that Mordo is referring to actually is Doctor Strange looking through the 14 million different possibilities in, in, in Infinity War that led to the events uh, led to the events slash results of Endgame. I don't think so. I think the ability to look at possible futures, I think that is probably in this world a fairly standard thing that sure. sorcerers can do. Just my guess. Rob, what do you think? Do you think I agree. I mean, and, and clearly he did it fairly qu quickly. It's not like it took him a long time to do it. Yeah, that's He knew true. exactly what he was doing. He, he was definitely looking. He was just looking. Just look like 95% of people walk into an Apple store. They're just looking. <laughs> that's it. Just looking. Is that right. true? Oh, probably. Oh, yes. I didn't know if that's like a real statistic. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't doubt it at all if that was an absolute 100% legitimate statistic. <laughs> all right. Degovi writes, uh, I wanted to comment on how freaking good the music is in the Doctor Strange 2 trailer. It oh, is quite dude, good. It's so good. Might be my favorite score to an MCU property ever. Danny Elfman plus Sam Raimi is magic. This movie is hopefully going to be incredible. And look, I'm going to say something that isn't might disappoint you. That that music may not be in the movie. It might have been written for the trailer. We've seen that happen many times. Yeah. But the music to the trailer was very, very good. There's no doubt about that. It was that. dark and ominous. Oh, it was loved. I loved it. Very good. All right. Next up. Uh, Alvaro writes one of two. In what if the Ancient One says Christine's death was an absolute point in time? The universe falls apart when Strange uses magic to bring Christine back. Do you think the snap was an absolute point and that the MCU's Strange first desecration of reality was setting everything up to undo the snap? Uh, that's why there was only a 1 in 14 million chance. And then the events of No Way Home was him furthering desecrating reality by messing with the multiverse event uh, further, even further. Then universe starts falling apart. All right. And I don't think, no, I don't think the snap was a definite point in time. I don't think that's a part of it. What is possible, though, is that there's a couple things we talked about here. One is the thing causing the problems in Doctor Strange 2 may not have anything to do with Doctor Strange at all. It could be Wanda. But beyond that, there is another possibility. Maybe it is Doctor Strange, but what if it's not the Doctor Strange we know? What if that Doctor Strange in the What If series is the one that caused the problems? I mean, we see the consequences happening in his reality. Well, like you pointed out earlier, if, if Doctor Strange is dreaming of his own deaths in other realities, right. he didn't set that ball. He didn't, he didn't hit the, the ball didn't start rolling with him. Right. He's being affected by it like other Doctor Stranges are. But he is still a Doctor Strange, and maybe Mordo thinks he's he needs to be held accountable for that because it's still him, a different version of him, but him nonetheless. And maybe whatever is affecting him happened after the No Way Home spell or something, and he wasn't affected until that occurred. He talks about, we don't know who stepped through, but what if what stepped through was what's affecting him? There are so many viable possibilities here. I, I think we're all assuming the one clear like the one plain obvious simple thing here that oh it's the spell he cast in spider-man i don't know again in the trailer strange says i did what i needed to do to protect the world what did that have to do with the spell he cast for peter yeah i don't know so it, it i'm thinking it's something else what else like a wanda 
the other Doctor Strange from the What If series, something else entirely we don't know yet. I don't know. We'll have to see. All right. Last question of the day comes to us from an anonymous viewer who writes in and says, yo, I watched the woman across the street and I loved it until the end. I thought the last episode was absolutely awful. Apparently it's a parody show, but there was nothing in the previous seven episodes that alluded to that. Very sad. Have you seen it? I don't even know what we're talking about. Okay. The, the, it's the new Christian, Kristen Bell show. The oh, woman the, is, the, the much longer yeah. title. The woman who did it across the street yeah. to the neighbor. So, okay. Okay. Dude, I watched it. You did watch yeah. it. And the, okay. The ending is out of control. Now, I liked it, but I mean, you're going to ask yourself, you're going to be like, come on. But I have to say, I went with it. Like, I, I just thought it was, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the ending. So what can I say? Unless they're talking about the very, very, very ending, which I thought was interesting, too. But <laughs> when all is revealed, I was, I, I'm thinking about it now and I'm still chuckling. Now, I think a lot of people can have a problem with it. And I totally get why, because they're going to be like, come on <laughs> but on the other hand i it worked for me it worked for me i thought it was hilarious well and i might it have was to check in, it out because i love was her in keeping with the it was in keeping with the rest of the show i like i said i love her i might have to check that out anyway guys that'll do it for this installment of mailbag thank you to everybody who sent in those questions by the way guys if you want to send in a comment or question to be read on an upcoming episode of mailbag we do these a couple of these every week just go ahead down in the description of this video click on the tip link or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip so you can see your comment or question right on the show again if we deem it appropriate to be used on our show anyway guys That'll do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for joining. A special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett and to all of you who sent in these questions. We deeply appreciate it very much. We can't wait to see you again. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.